welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day. My dear brother, mayor of Enfield, North Carolina, and TYT contributor, all star. We have with us Mayor Mundell Robinson. Always a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day. Well, Matt Gates was sending text messages to a minor, enticing that minor to take trips with him according to the new allegation based on an investigation that is already underway. Let's put up the picture full mass. Back and forth, once again, is back on the table. Multiple sources have told ABC News Congressional House ethics investigators have obtained text messages allegedly showing a few months after first joining Congress, the Florida Representative Matt Gates posed a question to this minor who at the time had received payments for sexual activity from Gates then very close friend, Joel Greenberg to join him and others on a three day trip to the Florida Keys, May of 2017. It is important to note that while the article will refer to the individual as a woman. At the time of the text messages, the individual, the person in question was in fact a minor, a child, okay? All right, now, a few years ago, Matt Gates went on Tucker Carlson's show in order to defend himself and decided to remind Tucker that if he gets jammed up, Tucker will get jammed up. Here it is. The interview with Tucker Carlson at times got uncomfortable, with Gates suggesting that the talk show host had dinner with Gates and a woman who could be at the center of the investigation by the FBI into Gates's conduct. Carlson said he did not remember the woman or the dinner. I, I, I don't remember the, the woman you're speaking of or the context at all, honestly. But I, I would like to know who, so they're saying there is a 17-year-old girl who uh, you had a relationship with. Is that true? And who are they, who is this girl? What are they talking about, uh, the New York Times? The person doesn't exist. I have not had a relationship with a 17-year-old. That is totally false. Even Carlson left the interview sounding confused. You just saw our Matt Gates interview. That was one of the weirdest interviews I've ever conducted. Today, the most powerful Republican in the House, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, called the allegation serious, but said he was waiting to learn more. And learn more we have. Now, the hypocrisy of Matt Gates cannot be dismissed from day one. In that interview with Tucker Carlson, he literally reminds Tucker that a young lady he brought to dinner, talking about Matt Gates, is probably the person being referenced. And then Matt Gates throws Tucker Carlson under the bus and says, hey, you remember, you were there. Tucker Carlson says, uh, no, no, I, I don't remember. They're saying 17 year old girl. And then Matt Gates says, she doesn't exist. Wait a minute, Matt. You just said that Tucker Carlson knew who they were referring to. And then you said, the person does not exist. Damn, son. You know you done messed up, don't you? All right, uh, 
in the alleged text messages described exclusively to ABC News. The then freshman congressman appeared to message a woman, at that time a minor, who ABC News is not identifying, asking if she would fly on a private plane to the Florida Keys for a trip with Gates, three other women, and one other man. The one other man could be his buddy who is currently incarcerated. Quote, hey, any interest in flying on a private plane to the Keys, May 19th through 21st? Gates allegedly wrote to the woman who was older than 21 at the time, according to multiple sources for me with the messages. Gates then allegedly said that the trip would feature two guys, four girls, a very high quality adventurous group, according to the messages, which have previously not been reported on. Now we've heard the accusations of cocaine use and everything else on these planes. There's more. Yeah, I'm in is the response from this individual. According to the text, Matt Gates allegedly replied, fantastic, fantastic, as is true with all time you spend with me, it'll be fun and chill. You have a passport, question mark. So according to sources familiar with the events, they told ABC News, uh, the woman ultimately declined uh, in 2017. The messages of accurate mark the first known example of alleged direct private communication between the Florida congressman and a woman who is a one-time close associate of Joel Greenberg, remember the tax commissioner in Florida, told investigators he had been paying to have sex with other men, according to documents and interviews with multiple sources. It's unknown if Gates knew that Greenberg had allegedly been paying the woman in such a manner. Uh, this is the sex trafficking dynamic. I will get into the other dynamic in a minute. A spokesperson of Gates told ABC News, quote, Representative Gates has no knowledge of these activities by Mr. Greenberg and was not involved in them. Representative Gates has never paid for sex. Representative Gates does not know anything about the woman you're referencing, though he takes thousands of selfies each year. Members of the House Ethics Committee declined to comment to ABC News. According to the narrative, they are reviewing all of the data available. So a photo of Gates and the woman has also been turned over to the committee, according to sources briefed on the matter. According to the sources, the photo, which is dated May 19, 2017, shows the woman smiling in a selfie next to Gates, who was wearing a shirt that reads, quote, if you think research is expensive, try disease. A quote from health activist Mary W. Lasker. According to Bank and Venmo records reviewed by ABC News, the woman had previously received multiple payments from Mr. Greenberg, once again, the associate of Matt Gates. Multiple sources tell ABC News uh, were for the woman to have sex at parties with Greenberg's friends. Once again, noted cocaine use based on the narrative that is separate from this story. All right, these things we have to piece together. There's more. All right, put him up full mass. All right, you see this fellow? What is he doing with his time right now? Greenberg. Former Seminole County tax collector, best friend of Matt Gates, reached a deal with federal investigators on May 20, on May 2021, in which he actually pleaded guilty. He pleaded guilty to multiple federal crimes, including sex trafficking, 
of a minor. Let me say that again. Sex trafficking of a minor. This means to me, and keep the picture up, that whenever this started, while she may be an adult today, or at the time of even Greenberg pleading guilty, she was not an adult during the engagement of the sexual or initial sexual encounters. He pleaded guilty to trafficking a minor for the purposes of sex. Also, guilty to introducing the minor to other men for the purposes of sex. And the charge lays out when she was under age, end quote. All right, um, he was the top witness in the Justice Department's years-long investigation into allegations that Gates had engaged in sex trafficking at the time at the same with the same minor who was the victim in the sex trafficking case to which Greenberg pleaded guilty. The probe concluded with the DOJ's decision not to bring charges against Gates. I'm going to explain why I believe that happened. The House Ethics Committee decided at that time when DOJ dropped it to open its own probe into Matt Gates. This happened April 2021. But they decided to pause their investigation while the Justice Department completed its probe. The Ethics Committee then reopened the probe this past summer. Gates has long denied all wrongdoing. The Florida Congressman has blasted the Ethics Committee saying its efforts are part of a plan by former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to retaliate against Gates for helping remove McCarthy from his post late last year. House investigators have recently ramped up their probe of Gates, which ABC News previously reported is looking into allegations that he paid for sex, as well as allegations about drug use and potential lobbying violations, according to sources familiar with the committee's work. The DOJ examined related allegations in the years long probe before deciding not to bring charges. Now, the irony of this cannot be overstated. During the time that the DOJ was looking into Matt Gates, guess who served on the committee that funded and provided oversight for the DOJ? Matt Gates did. Matt Gates was on the committee of oversight providing leadership and oversight for the same investigative body that was investigating him. All of a sudden, his friend gets arrested, his friend gets charged, his friend pleads guilty, and Matt Gates gets every charge, basically, poof, it vanishes. Nothing happens, no indictment, nothing. They just say, we are no longer probing Matt Gates. Now, ethics committee, they're back at the table, looks as if they actually have evidence. How do you think they got this evidence? How do you think evidence gets to a congressional ethics committee? That's intentional conduct. That means people intentionally provided information to the committee in order for them to investigate 
Matt Gates, and the committee does work with noted investigators. All right, Mr. Mayor, hell of a twist. Uh, McCarthy said it best. He said Matt Gates should be in prison. He said that on the Republican side. What say you? All right, listen, we know that this story is as sticky as it seemed to be. Yeah. Uh, and Gates is a, a a slivering, a slivering fool who we know was passing information. Uh, to Trump administration while Trump administration. So this is, I, I can't wait to get to the bottom of it. Um, I do believe there's more information coming out. And people should also not confuse the fact that they refuse, the DOJ refused to put charges, a press charge at that moment, does not mean that they will not come back to press charges. So they shouldn't get those two things uh, convoluted. Listen, Gates and his friend, even if you're not guilty of, of this so-called sex scheme, why were you... There, when he was making fake IDs, and then you have an obligation That's right. to report that fact as a congressman. Yeah, I'm I asking. Mean, yeah, listen, he has an obligation just as a regular dude who's pretty complicit with the operation, right? So we'll see. Uh, I think they're going to also get him on his illegal lobbying, um, getting certain deals done on these particular trips um, outside of the scope of fair practices under the congressional rules. So we're going to follow this as it develops. We have an update that actually has somewhat of a positive dynamic connected. Do you remember this? him a full mass. He has now pleaded guilty. Now, Daniel Thomas Warren, who was suspected of attacking and severely injuring a black food truck owner in Southeast Portland last June, has pleaded guilty to an assault charge stemming from the attack. We covered it. It was extreme. It was um, insane. The brutal beating of Mr. Darrell Preston in broad daylight, which involved Warren hurling racial slurs, including the N-word at Mr. Preston, left the food truck owner with a broken nose, a fractured face, and multiple lacerations to his eyes and his mouth. Um, the individual allegedly said while attacking Preston, uh, I hit you in word, stay on the ground. So this criminal has pleaded guilty to a third degree assault charge and no contest to a first degree bias crime on Friday, according to the county DA. A bias crime is the same as a hate crime in Oregon, all right? That's just the way they contextualize it. There's an active GoFundMe. Let's put it up. Okay. Active GoFundMe has raised more than $89,000. If you remember, this was his bread and butter business. This is how he made a living. This was an unprovoked attack. And it may you may miss, and we'll keep this GoFundMe up for those who would like to take the information down. You may miss the severity of having um, basically a, a broken faceplate. Well, what is that about? 
that means your skull, your skull, your face is fractured. Um, it is one of the most difficult injuries because you can't put a cast on that. All right, uh, it has to heal, and sometimes it heals in a way that may be that may require surgery in the future. It's a very painful injury. Preston, in response to all the support, said, and I quote, "Every day, people come to my car asking about the case. For me." It is a constant reminder and reliving of the incident. But it is important to a lot of people in the community, said Preston, whose food truck has since relocated to Sandy Boulevard in Portland. Quote, he needed to be held accountable for both the assault and the hate crime involved, Preston said. So personally, I do not think. He has been held accountable to the extent he should. That's my personal belief. Um, this seemed to be uh, an attempted murder when you look at how this played out and the severity of this beating and the nature of it being completely unprovoked. Um, however, he was able to plead guilty and he has um, a sentence in front of him. There's an adjudication process. But I am happy to note that the victim is now the victor. The business is booming. The GoFundMe was supported by many, many of you. And he continues to be a leader in that local community, providing not only opportunity to engage, but an opportunity to say, I'm still here. I'm still rolling. I'm still leading. Um, Mr. Mayor, hell of a story. Very thankful that so many people supported this brother, unprovoked attack. By a racist individual. What say you? I, I'm I'm surprised, and also it's dastardly that this person was allowed to plea with that yeah. video showing what we just watched. It's absolutely disgusting to me. I don't understand why there's not an attempted murder, especially since he left the victim right down the crown and just walked away. Uh, so it, it definitely seems like th- this this was a light, uh, a, a getting off, a smack on the hand. I hope the federal government is watching and also going to get involved uh, because he needs federal hate charges uh, pressed against him. This is absolutely disgusting behavior. Yeah. Uh, and for people to say they care so much about black men who are lazy or don't want to work, you see a business owner being attacked during business hours. I don't see where they are up or where's the, uh, where's the, um, the what is it? The, the where's the business commerce? Where where are all these people? The yeah. business society. Where where's the fear and standing up for black people who are trying to work simply, trying to work and get attacked in this manner? This is absolutely disgusting behavior. We know again and again in Portland, um, these type of attacks keep happening on black people. A state that has very small black population, it is very hostile to be black in Portland, and this is a reason why when you can just plead guilty to a simple assault charge. Yeah, I mean, he really got off light here. Uh, There's just no if and bust about it. All right, we'll bring you updates if there are any developments. Cincinnati, the city, yep, they got to pay money to black people. Why? Because, well, they were discriminatory against black folk. Hell of a thing. Put up uh, the picture of the city. You see, it looks beautiful and charming and inviting. But after nearly four years, a group of black Cincinnati, Ohio residents and the city's officials, they have now settled a federal lawsuit in which residents accuse the city of intentionally favoring white homeowners through the way it operated a particular residential tax abatement program. I'm about to explain something so insane. 
The lawsuit filed July 2020 claimed the city operated the program in a quote racially discriminatory way that worsened Cincinnati's racially segregated residency pattern. The recent settlement will allow the program to continue provided that the city officials make efforts to increase the number of black residents participating according to the Cincinnati Inquirer. And let me give you how the lawsuit contextualized this. The Cincinnati tax abatement program administered by the city's Department of Community and Economic Development was designed to allow property owners to apply to pay property taxes on the pre-improvement value of their property for 10 to 15 years. The program required a minimum of $5,000 in renovation cost to be eligible for the tax reduction. And the lawsuit claimed that this disqualified lower income homeowners who wanted to make modest renovations totaling less than that. And so the program basically says, if you would like to beautify your home based on this assessed value, we will allow you to have this significant tax abatement, this benefit, but you must come to the table with at least five stacks where my money. And if you don't have five stacks, then you don't get the tax abatement, which obviously penalizes those who do not have the discretionary income in order to participate in such a scheme, right? All right, nowhere in the application or approval process is there any consideration by the city of the degree to which the granting of tax abatements will have a racially segregative effect on the residency pattern. In the city, the lawsuit said the city is made up of 50.4% white residents and 39.6% black residents, according to the 2022 United States Census Bureau data. The suit also claimed the program made black residents poorer as it favored white homeowners applying for tax breaks to offset home repairs. According to the news outlet, although the city overhauled the program last year, black homeowners involved in the suit still accused the new system of discrimination. According to the residents, attorney Robert Newman, city records show Cincinnati granted 2,640 residential tax abatements for $183 million by the time the lawsuit was filed in 2020. Newman previously said that more than 53 million of those funds went to one of the city's wealthiest neighborhoods, one community, which is also predominantly white. Uh, The staff uh, writers reviewed a five year period of city data between 2014 and 2018 to find that two of Cincinnati's majority black neighborhoods received how much money? Less than $1 million in tax abatements during that exact same time. It was also reported the recent settlement signed on the 8th of February means the city will have to expand in outreach. It's outreach about the tax abatement program to areas of Cincinnati that are home to larger numbers of poor residents and black residents monitor the program 
for racial inequities and make the application process and his website more accessible. As part of the settlement, the city will also have to pay $110,000 to the homeowners who sued the city. Now, let's go to the mayor. The mayor told the Atlanta Black Star in a statement, quote, since taking office, we've worked to make residential abatement program more impactful and accessible to the folks who need it most. I'm proud of our administrators' steps to bring more incentives and easier process and information about other home improvement resources to our underinvested communities. As we move forward, those goals will continue to be our guiding light. Understand what happened here, okay? They had the wrong people in the boardroom. They had the wrong people in the boardroom. When you're making programs like this, it's very easy to make it seem, um, let's just say, uh, non-racial. I see no color. There's nothing here that would indicate racism. But then you don't have a program that allows for the dissemination of information. You have a program that's difficult to access via the technology provided. You have a program that requires a buy-in, which automatically discriminates against individuals in your community who do not have as much discretion in their income spending as, let's say, more wealthy communities. All of these dynamics are adversarial and antithetical to the notion of a thriving unified community that says we are all in this together. And I'm glad that I have an actual active mayor on my show today to talk about the reality of how you have to be thoughtful about programs like this because you can actually do what Cincinnati did, which is increase, increase um, the gap, the disparity uh, in our homeowner equity program, you now have inequity galore. What say you? Yeah, I think this is, I think uh, you said, you said there's the wrong people in the boardroom. I think you're spot on with that. I also believe that uh, some of this had to be um, intentional, right? This seems like the grandson of a redlining to me. We cannot understand housing and what it meant to own a house in, in after the World War II and how it created so much wealth. It actually created the middle class in this country. But intentionally, the federal government decided that Black people would not be able to benefit from that program. Uh, or those programs, I should say, FHA loans and also the troops coming back from GI benefits as it pertains to buying a house. But then if you look at this program, I, this is why I believe the legal standard that says, regardless of what your intention was, your your impact will be measured and looked at should be the it should be the step it should be the scope for all policies pertaining to any large scale uh improvements or abatement programs when it comes to housing not just in large cities but all over this country because when you don't when you're not intentional about saying we're going to ensure we're going to ensure that racism is not a part of this program whether it's our intent or our impact then this is exactly what happens. So we need to be intentional about addressing inequities even before they happen. In this case, they definitely did not do that. Yeah, so well said, and you are correct. We weigh and judge based on impact, not simply intention. Liability can be affixed by intention, but we have to reverse engineer programming when we see inequity in the impact itself. All right, we will give you updates if they develop. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments. Uh, dragons don't know I'm not real bacon. I yearn for the days when something like this would make someone resign. Yep, talking about Matt Gates, right? Um, yeah. 
Joe John Score Dragon, Jeffrey Epstein handles the top most popular politicians, powerful people, of course. There are people like Greenberg who handle young women to these lesser unknown politicians like Gates. Yeah. Um, RJL Network. McCarthy said to Gates, payback is a beer, ain't it? Yeah. He said he was going to, to make some moves happen. He said something was going to happen now. Don't, can't tell you when, but it's coming. And also, let's go to Twitch. Yep, Ghost Dog TV. The reason Gates got off is because there are enough Republicans <laughs> implicated in his crimes to bring the party out of relevance. Out of relevance? Mm, you know, we who would be shocked if other Republicans were involved? Not me. Okay, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on him for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell there's an African American man threatening my life. To give what you have, and you denigrate Australia by wearing t shirts like that. We didn't, we're not speaking to you, we're not. Yes, you are. You're wearing a t-shirt I'm that not I can see. You. Yeah, that's okay. We're it's allowed offensive. to. I find it offensive. Turn around and face the other way. I find it offensive. You're a disgrace. You're a spoiled brat generation. Excuse me, you can't act like that on the tram, please. I well, but they're wearing offensive t-shirts. Then, then you need to take action to remove yourself. Have they got... That's the Aboriginal t-shirts. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a I love, it. I love your t-shirt. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I like, I like how he just dipped out. Like nobody saw him, right? He was like, I'm on the anti-Karen train. <laughs> Put it up full mass. Um, Karenicity is a worldwide epidemic. So there's a post. And it says, happy Australia Day from this dumb dog. This man approached me and my two friends uh, completely unprompted. My shirt read, just a reminder, we don't celebrate genocide. Apparently he has an issue with that, saying, why would you wear such a provocative t-shirt? And there's never been genocide in this country. Followed by the exchange that you just saw. Uh, you know, let me tell you how my grandmama would have said it. A hit dog a holler. That's how she would have contextualized the whole situation you just saw. A hit dog will holler. Mr. Mayor, how do you see it? Uh, a hollering dog. That's all. That <laughs> that's right, hollering dog. I mean, listen, let's be clear. The fact that he's talking about it, it's offensive. You spent the time to walk over to this woman. And right. <laughs> I, I love that the whole train got in on it. The person yeah. behind her and the, the gentleman walking past was like, oh, I love your shirt. And he just had to get off the train. He's like, I'm on the wrong train. This train, <laughs> right. is, this train is woke. <laughs> like, th this is not the racist train? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's not forget that uh, Australia was founded they, where people were already living. It was the yes. worst version of Christopher Columbus. They wiped out almost all of the aborigines when they got there saying that no one was on their island or on that continent. So yep. let's be clear. I love the shirt. It has relevance to that continent and that those that want you to forget act just like this. So uh, your grandmother was right. Ain't nothing yep. but a script dog. That's right. That's it. All right. Proud of their leadership and for those who spoke up and said, 
you know, ignoring him, you know, and say, hey, listen, love the shirt. All right, keep going. Okay, I got a question for everybody. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. Did you say? Just for like a safety hazard, I just don't want you guys to come through. Uh, just be careful, like don't come through the horses. Just because uh, just in case the horses like use the restroom or something, or like you know something happens, I just don't want anybody to get frustrated. Like if their car runs over. People. Oh, so you don't want so you don't want us to utilize our recognized mode of transportation because you're worried about I'm worried whether or not we're a customer. That's all. We're a customer. What are we? Yeah, no, I know, but are you the manager? Are you the manager? I am, I am. Are you making that call for the corporation? Yes, that's, that's like, that's Is that your story and you're going to stick to it? This policy. I'm because Nathan was a manager over on Buck Owens Boulevard and he tried that with me several years ago. Okay. And he lost. You know, I long for the day when I have enough time and lack of actual problems that I can get on the damn horse. Ride my horse to the local Starbucks and mess with children who are working at the Starbucks. Come on, man. Put it up full mass. The hell? And I want you to zoom in on something. Uh, The woman has a Starbucks in her hand. Ma'am, you have, you, why are you still here? Did the horse order something too? You already got Nathan fired down the street, like you said. I don't understand this. The young man is being sensible, respectful. He's saying, listen, can you just, I mean, what if you're in a car? And he says, ma'am, can you pull your car up a little bit? Because it's going to take us a minute to get everything out to you. Pull up, you know, we'll bring it out to you in just a moment. Yeah, of course I will. You don't get special horse privileges here. Mr. Mayor, this is the first man. Uh, <laughs> and you know she got Nathan fired on purpose, right? Whatever happened. She's, she's been doing this for years, going around and stock bugs on a horse with her recognized mode of transportation. <laughs> right. Get your horse out of the drive-thru. What, if, what are we going to do if you stick your, your head, stick his horse in there? We have to close on the whole drive-thru to, to sanitize this place. Get serious, man. Like this is, like you said, what kind of time do you have where you can go to a drive-thru on a horse right. and harass people? First of all, you ordering food on the back of a horse? And you got it in your hand. Have you ever, have you ever ridden a horse? It is not, it's not, it's not sanitary. Not conducive. Why, why would you be eating Starbucks on the back of a horse? I am, I first of all, the beans are already over roasted. Like now you're going to yeah. add the smell of a horse to it. Yeah. yeah, man, this is, this is, this is next level red state to me. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, well, that that's what makes them feel like they're living. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Um, membership, all right, this is the lifeblood. You are the lifeblood of TYT. We're asking you to join with the paid membership on YouTube. You can just hit the join button right now. This provides critical financial support that helps maintain 
the programming every day. TYT and our show have preserved over the years, despite the hostile media and political pressures. But we cannot do this without your help. If just 1% of our audience started supporting through the membership on YouTube alone, we'll be here for a very, very long time, just 1%. I would love for you to be part of that 1%, maybe even more. All right, so support our show. I want you to click that join button now if this program feeds you, okay? All right, um, hell of a thing. So a man randomly decides to um, bite and try to stab another human being because he's too close to it. Put up the picture full mask. Let me give you the zig and zag of the story. 42-year-old Corey A. Neesensen is accused of hurling racial slurs, striking a black passerby with scissors on February 10th. This was in Portland, Oregon. Resulting in his arrest, police announced in the press release the suspect was charged with second degree assault, fourth degree assault, reckless burning, aggravated harassment, and first degree bias crime because the guy was passing by him. First responders were called to the scene of a man later identified as Neeson lighting clothes on a fire, lighting clothes on fire outside. The Portland Fire and Rescue also said uh, he was attacking a male victim by biting him and cutting him with a small pair of scissors. Quote, the case is being investigated as bias crime as the suspect subjected the victims to physical injury and placed the victim in fear of imminent serious physical injury based on the suspect's perception of the victim's race, race, all right? When officers arrived, police claimed that he spat on one of them. What? And he's alive? Yes, they arrested him. Investigators think that he may be linked to a separate incident where he ran after an interracial couple and also use racially offensive language against them. Obviously, somebody filed a report. That's why they know there's a connection possibly here. Police are urging the victims to come forward with their experiences. Witness and victim Peyton Thomas told KGW and Fox 12, he saw the moment this individual started burning clothes on 6th Avenue, okay? Before jogging after the couple and attempting to assault them. Quote, the guy thankfully turned around. Uh, the guy thankfully turned around and looked and saw him. Him and the female took off running. Thomas explained to KGW, adding that he and his friend were seemingly the suspect's next target. He continued, by the time I looked up, he was too close to me to put my hands up to stop him or punch him. The only thing I could do was resort to my military training and self-defense combat and grabbed him and slapped him and slapped him to the ground. All right, put it up. That's when Thomas claims um, the perpetrator decided, well, this is a good idea to bite now. So he bit him and attempted to stab him with scissors. Those are the visuals. Thomas suffered non-life-threatening injuries and believe he was attacked due to his race. 
The suspect, who is white, was taken into custody, pleaded not guilty during a court appearance on Monday. He asked to be transported to a mental health facility and the hospital. But the judge decided against the request according to the report. He has another court date at the end of the month. Online records viewed by Atlanta Blackstar show that he is being held in the Multnomah County Inverness Jail. All right. So the judge did not believe his story of mental health deficiency as the reason he was being racist and deciding to attack individuals on the street. All right, Mr. Mayor, you have had your stint of racist individuals come after you in significant and massive ways. This is one of those up close and personal dynamics where random people are being terrorized by an individual while he's hurling the N word at them. What say you? Yeah, I think we should also point out that once again, we are back in Oregon where I said yep. so few black people and so often this happens. And I mean, how what are the likelihood that two times in one show we're yep. talking about the same state? It is extremely serious that we need to deal with this. We see um, some serious institutional deficiencies in Oregon when it comes to making sure that their black residents are, are secure. Again, um, when you when you see the climate of America in 2024, racism is on the ballot. Uh, racism is a part of life right now. Black people are not safer than we were any other time. The ideal of making America great again includes making black people feel threatened in a manner where you might bite or stab them with scissors on the street in broad daylight. And once again, these are unprovoked random attacks happening in significant numbers inside of particular cities. Uh, it is insane, but we will continue to follow. Remember the Jackie Robinson statue that was stolen? Well, the person, the person who destroyed it, excuse me, has been arrested. The chief of police says there's no evidence that hate nor racism was a catalyst for this. That's called motive. I didn't know a chief can weigh that so quickly. Put up the picture for a mask. It's an interesting story here. All right, so nearly three weeks after. The Jackie Robinson statue was stolen um, from Wichita, Kansas Park, and also destroyed. It was burned and destroyed. All right. So it's not like you could claim, well, he was trying to sell it to somebody. It was just a money deal. Okay. We're kind of running out of motives here. Right. So it was stolen. It was burned. It was destroyed. Local police have found the man responsible for the crime, according to KAKE, Wichita police arrested and charged Ricky. L. Diritti with a felony theft, identity theft, and making false um, statements and information and aggravated criminal damage. All right, so he gets arrested. The problem with the suspect's actions is not that he only destroyed a statue that honors one of the most important athletes in American history, is that the statue was also very expensive. According to the Wichita Police Department, the statue is valued at about $75,000, okay? While his arrest is a big development in the case, the police chief, his name is Joe Sullivan, stated that it was only the first one, implying that there are many more arrests to come, according to KAKE. The police department clarified that the suspect was taken into police custody earlier this month in a case unrelated to the statue theft. Furthermore, the police stated that there is no evidence that the crime was motivated by hate or race. 
nothing to see here. Um, so he didn't do it as a prank. He didn't do it to make money. He didn't do it because of hate. He didn't do it because of race. What other motive do you have? Oh, that, that was basically it. Um, wow, all right, let's put them up. Um, everybody, we all know um, the amazing contributions that Jackie Robinson not only brought to baseball, but to the culture at large, all right? Um, league 42, a youth baseball league that plays its games at the park where the statue was stolen. They started a GoFundMe to help pay for the replacement. Uh, the community has raised more than $190,000, blowing past his goal of $175,000. Many of you participated in that. If you would like to participate more, support League 42, inspired by Jackie Robinson. You can go there now and do so. A fundraiser was required because when remains of the statue were found, there were essentially, it was nothing left. It was nothing left, making it nearly impossible to repair, leaving the replacement of the statue in the community's hands. The statue is also important to the Youth Baseball League because it pays homage to Robinson's uniform number and is in an area that has a long history with the legendary second baseman. Um, you know, police acting like defense attorneys, um, the chief of police in particular, this is a rare thing, right? Because now you're literally eliminating motive. Typically, the police will give you different possible motives. That's usually the narrative. This police department has literally eliminated virtually any motive that could have been attributed to this, if we believe their narrative. Mr. Mayor, um, have you ever heard your police chief or your police department literally eliminate all motives possible for a crime that they know was committed? No, but I know I, I watched my uh, police chief turn his back on me and try to yeah. tell us. <laughs> and when I tore down a when I tore down a Confederate monument. Which and beautiful. he absolutely said I broke the law, even though I did not break the law. And you were exonerated uh, fully. <laughs> and, 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 and for the police chief to go through this, this manner, and, and it's, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, you are a police. You're supposed to present the evidence. You're right. not, it is not your job. You're not a trier of the fact. You're not a, that is not the role of police departments. Furthermore, if, if, this, if you can't get to race on this, why didn't he turn on the Confederate monument that's in Wichita? Mm. That, that monument, it's bigger than the Jackie Robinson monument. It's surely worth more money. So why, if you if it's all about money, then that's bigger statues. Why are those statues still standing? Why'd you take this statue? Come on, this is absolutely ridiculous. And the quickness in which this police chief was willing to rule out race shows you what it means to be black in America and how high the tolerance of black suffering is in this country. Yeah, uh, insane. The man said, "No, no, no hate, no race." Like, damn, he loved the statue. That's why he did it. Like, what? What are you talking about? No hate. Okay. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Rachel Dolezal at it again. Uh, she loses her job. Uh, it's like a teaching gig, so to speak, uh, because of some pictures. Um, yeah, let's just put it up for a mask. Let's let's do it this way here. All right, I'm going to start slow. All right, I'm gonna work into it. Rachel Dolezal loses her teaching job over erotic videos. Now, she goes by, I think it's Nkichi Diallo or something like that. 
Um, she's lost a teaching job with the Catalina Foothill School District, where she was an after school instructor at Sunrise Drive Elementary. All right, this is in Arizona. After explicit pictures from her OnlyFans began making the rounds again online. Local outlet News 4 brought attention to the latest images Tuesday night. Um, it is unclear if the photos were shared by her or if someone else to sites like Reddit, etc. Uh, yeah. So Julie Fairberry, the district's director of alumni and community relations, said Wednesday in an email uh, to the local news, quote, we only learned of Miss um, Inkichi Diallo's OnlyFans social media post yesterday afternoon. A post contrary to our district's use of social media by district employees policy <laughs> attached here. And our staff ethics policy, she is no longer employed by the Catalina Foothills School District. Um, and, and when we were going over this story uh, this morning in the production meeting, I told one of my producers, I asked, I said, didn't we find the pictures last year? He was like, yeah, we did. I said, so how is it that they just found them this week? Uh, anyway, um, so as some might remember, 2014, Dollar uh once um, an African studies professor when she was pretending to be African American in Washington State and the head of the Spokane chapter um, of the NAACP became infamous after she was exposed for pretending to be a light complected black woman, achieving the look by getting perms, um, spray tans, like bringing on a black guy to say, this is my dad. It was, it was quite extreme. She had disappeared into obscurity for a minute, right? Uh, and after changing her name in 2017, she began to teach for Catalina Foothills Unified District in August 2023. On her public Instagram, uh, she had her account linked alongside a book, podcast, and her 2018 Netflix documentary. Uh, the incident is mind-boggling, given her account and images from it became relatively publicly known uh, September of 2022. We covered it right here on Indisputable. And other outlets covered it as well of her being on the sexy subscription site. After photos leaked online back then, um, she initially launched a page in 2021. For the low, low cost of $9.99, $9.99 monthly. All right, she's not robbing anybody. <laughs> Offering subscribers, <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> that was unprofessional. Offering subscribers, fitness videos, hair tutorials, and uh, foot pics. All right, so, uh, you know, I gotta say it. I gotta say it. Mr. Mayor, I'm gonna make a proposition to the black delegation. I'm going to propose that we put up Senator Tim Scott. We're going to bring Rachel Dollarzell back. <laughs> For nine ninety nine, she can have my vote. Listen, <laughs> no, listen, oh, man. I think I think that the idea that she's losing her job for something that she just didn't do uh, is it's kind of crazy. I, I, this sounds like some parent. Some mother called her husband looking at Ray uh OnlyFans page. Yeah. And now she got mad and reported it to the school. Uh, I mean, 
I, we don't want anybody losing their job for earning extra income because we know teachers are underpaid for sure, especially out west where it's extremely expensive to live. This is a sad situation. I, I, yeah. do, I do know a lot of other uh, real black people that do more disservice to our community. So yep. we can start there. And Tim Scott happens to be one of them. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and I'm going to say this, that you're right. She didn't do like something new. Uh, obviously, there's a procedure that the school should have engaged in if they did not. Um, want her employed there. Uh, and while I don't like what she did because she actually took away opportunity from an actual black person and money from actual black people by qualifying for these scholarships that were meant for black folk. Um, I, I don't want the person to not be able to work. Uh, like there are some people that have done way more extreme things against the race that have actual jobs uh, and work every day. All right, um, yeah, okay. So Beyonce, uh, I guess she's going to have a country album. Uh, and guaranteed is going to do very well. Well, there are some people really upset about this. Here it is. The lefties in the entertainment industry just won't leave any area alone, right? They just have to seize control over every aspect, don't they? They've got to. Uh, they've got to make their mark, just like a dog in a uh, in a dog walk park. You know, every dog has to mark. Every tree, yeah. right? So that's mm-hmm. what's going on here. Uh, Shania and the other folks you talked about, what they did is they they were in country music and they went out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. But people coming into country music have a, because uh, I know a little something about country music. No, you don't. I'm about to educate you, though. Uh, let's put up the picture full mass. Isn't this something? Comparing Beyonce to a dog, dog whistle for the B word, by the way. And he's incorrect on historical dynamics. Uh, and I think the Dukes of Hazard actor is just mad he's not on the collaboration. So, country singer John Snyder and OAN anchor Allison Steinberg were criticizing Beyonce for releasing country music for an upcoming album. This is not the Houston natives' first foray into the genre. In 2016, she performed at the Country Music Awards alongside the Chicks, a performance that drew anger from country music fans, conservatives, and yes, bigots, with feeling that a black artist like her was encroaching on a genre that she did not belong. What? According to the true origins of country music, a TED talk by vocalists, historian Queen Esther. Not only is country music rooted in black culture, but it also originated with blues music and West African music traditions. The banjo, a key instrument in country music originated in Africa. And the white man who popularized the banjo learned how to play it from the enslaved. Facts. All right, Mr. Mayor, once again, talking and don't know their history. What's I mean, and it's never really about facts with these people, right, Doc? We know that for a fact. Like, and mm-hmm. like you said, not only was it popularized by enslaved African-Americans, but it was also taught by some of the fav- their favorite uh, musicians, Bill Monroe, who's the what father of bluegrass, learned how to play from a black musician. Said it on TV. Michael Gray, who's the executive director of the Country Music Museum, said it began with black people. 
enslaved Africans singing singing songs while they were working hymns. They took them, white people literally took them and put them in minstrel shows. They were making fun of it, not even as a real music first to try to to interpretate what their idea of blackness was. The Carter family, the entire Carter family learned how to play from Les Swift. So, I mean, it's just this, 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 this complete disregard of what black people have given and are continually give to this country and also all of music culture in general. What people will not be willing to say is that American tradition is exported in the form of black music, mm-hmm. whether white people are singing or black people. But let's go a step further. Let's imagine black people banning Eminem uh, or any other white rappers from, from our radio stations because we're upset. This shows you the difference in how we show up as a people. I'm not speaking of all people, but collectively, there's yeah. never been a, a band of Eminem or Jack Hollow or any other white rapper. Uh, House of, you know, so I'm, I'm just confused by why yeah. people feel like, and this guy from Dukes of Hazard saying that, <laughs> right. you know, we, we, some of people come in and go out and then leave. He know a little bit about country. You know a little bit about nothing. When you start in a racist show, you got fame from being a someone who drove a sh- a a Confederate flag around and go away like the Confederate needs to go away. Yep. Very well said, dear brother. And you're right. Uh, you got skills, you got skills. All right. If you got skills, you you get played. You get appreciation. There, there are people that will say, I, I may not like your brand of music, but you still you're here. We we accept that you're here. We accept Eminem. We accept you're here. He's a he's a dope MC, period. All right, Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure, dear brother, having you on the program. Tell people they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, Mundo Robinson everywhere. My YouTube channel is Mundo Robinson. Also on uh, Rebel HQ at Mundo Robinson as well. Thank you, my friend. Until next time. Peace. All right. Bullpit is next. Interesting one coming up. Stick and stay. All right. Welcome back. A lot of show left. Okay. All right. Don't forget, make sure you become a member or do the yearly contribution. We got some beautiful things happening. Okay. All right. Um, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Donald Trump can still be president of the United States and run the damn country even if he's in prison. At least that's what experts are saying based on an exhaustive and very thorough exclusive report by investigative reporter Alexandria Jacobson of Raw Story. Hell of a thing, I read it in horror, okay? Could not believe it, but it's real, so let's talk about it. Ms. Jacobson, thank you for being on the show. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Dr. Ritchie. Okay. Uh, very well done, by the way. Uh, you exhausted every nook and cranny here. And I don't think anyone has gone this deep before. So uh, let's first set the premise up because I got to get into the meat in just a moment. Um, Donald Trump, because there's no constitutional prohibition, he could literally be incarcerated and still be president of the United States. Explain it to us. That's right. As crazy as it sounds, just like you said, there's nothing in the Constitution that says someone that's under indictment or is a convicted felon 
is barred from being the president of the United States or running for office. So at Raw Story, we did a, just a really deep investigation to see how that's possible. And Donald Trump, as we know, is has four indictments he's facing, 91 felony charges. So it's a very real possibility that the hundreds of potential years he's facing for those charges could lead to him having a prison sentence. And if he he's the presumptive Republican nominee, if he is elected, and goes to the White House, he could he could be serving a prison sentence and still run our country. It's unbelievable. It's quite unbelievable. So there are some things that have not been constitutionally tested. For example, what you just mentioned. But I will say this, um, many, many years ago, there was a guy who was in prison because of a tax crime. He was running for president, got damn near a million votes. We let it slide. We knew he wasn't going to win. But it it should have had a response. There should have been a legislative response. That should have been a constitutional amendment response. But because there was no actual threat of him being president, it was allowed, which now sets precedent that can you earn votes while being in prison? Well, according to precedent, you can. So you can't even take that away from Donald Trump if he is in fact convicted or in prison prior, prior to the election. So that's off the table. And now you have these experts who have said, listen, there is no constitutional prohibition. And well, the reason is because the people that wrote the damn constitution never assumed that this would be one of those scenarios they did not think of. So talk to us about what some of these experts said to you in this investigation. Yeah, absolutely. So as you referenced, um, Lyndon LaRouche is the name of, of that gentleman who in 1992 ran for president from prison, he got 0.2% of the vote. Another time this happened was Eugene Debs back in the 1920s. He was imprisoned for speaking out against World War One and charged in the Espionage Act. He got three and a half percent of the vote, but we're talking Donald Trump here. This is a, a different story. He's a former president, so I don't think anyone in the writing of the Constitution and experts in the past ever expected it to, to get to this level. So yeah, the experts that we, we spoke to said, ultimately, if it gets to the point where Donald Trump is facing a prison sentence and is the the winner of the general election. It's going to get kicked up to the Supreme Court, and there will be potentially different uh, interpretations that need to happen. So, for instance, the the Twenty Fifth Amendment that says that if the Vice President and two thirds of Congress determine that the President can't fulfill his or her duties, that they can they can vote. Um, they can vote on that and and have the vice president take over. So I think those type of scenarios are a real potential possibility if he if he makes it to the Oval Office again. You know, and this is when I would mention something like, well, and this is my meager law school training talking, a declaratory judgment, which is basically you seek the court and you say, okay, court, if this happens, who has the right to do what in this particular scenario? So it's not an adjudication. In the traditional sense, but it's a ruling kind of prior to a problem arising. Did any of the experts speak on the court being able to make these determinations prior to the problem actually happening? Most of the experts I talked to, we really were talking about if it, if it gets to that hypothetical. And I think some folks thought, you know, it really doesn't feel possible, but it is. So yeah. that certainly that certainly could be a possibility. And as we're seeing with the cases around the Fourteenth Amendment. That's that's playing out right now, and whether if Donald Trump's potential involvement, his alleged involvement in January 6th insurrection, how that affects his ability to to run for office. So we we're seeing that happen right now, and I think there could potentially be an opportunity where the courts are forced to to rule on this ahead yeah. of time. 
Yeah, and, and I got to say this because it's the, the irony cannot be dismissed. If you have a felony conviction in a particular state, for the vast majority of states, you do not get the opportunity, obviously, to participate as a voter. You cannot be put on the ballot. You can't run for a position of public trust while you are under a felony conviction and a probated or parole status. So Donald Trump gets convicted now, right? How does he then get on the ballot when states literally by statute prohibit a citizen from voting and a citizen of that state from being on the ballot? How do they then create a caveat law for one human being when that is and has been determined to be unconstitutional? You can't make laws that benefit one person and not the whole according to the US Supreme Court. So how do you untangle that web? It is really a complicated situation, and a lot of the experts I talk to explain that. I mean, since there's no precedence, that's yeah. why there's all this confusion and around the situation. I think oftentimes, also, you know, if if Donald Trump were to be convicted, his experience of being convicted of a felony is different than the average American, right? So he will likely get a, a completely different treatment, and I think that is probably how we'd see this this play out. Yeah, you know, the only time we've taken a presidential contender off the ballot per se was Abraham Lincoln. And that was a big catalyst to the Civil War. And now you have a lot of that coming to the forefront again in reference to Donald Trump. But there's some pushback from Republican states saying, okay, well, we're gonna do it to Biden now, right? No real good faith basis here because you do supposed to have a good faith basis. What we're seeing, in my opinion, and I wanna get your take on this, we're seeing the extreme polarization manifest in a way where if there's no good faith arbitration happening in politics, it really doesn't matter what the laws are. Because you can go so extreme that you simply cancel each other out by action and reaction. What say you to that? I think I think that's a great point, and, and we're certainly seeing it, it's interesting because Donald Trump talks about the idea of the weaponization of the government and and things like that. But you see on on the other side that the the GOP is is doing the same thing that he's accusing the Democrats of. So, yeah, it, it's it's a really frustrating situation that that we are currently in, and yeah, definitely unprecedented. When you decided to do this investigative report for Raw Story, did you expect the answer or basically the, the general conclusion of the experts to be, yeah, he can actually be in prison and still run the United States of America? Did you expect that walking into this? No, and I'm sure as you as you and most of our readers found, I mean, it, it is pretty shocking. And we spoke with all sorts of experts, so constitutional law experts, professors of history. We spoke with folks that have worked with the Federal Election Commission and other government agencies, political experts, and they all pointed to the same conclusion here that this is unprecedented and there's nothing stopping him from continuing to run if he is convicted or serving. Is there anything that either A, could have been done prior to this, or B could possibly be done within the next few months that would in fact create an actual barrier to the scenario of having a president who has been convicted of major crimes still run the country. And the reason I proffer that to you is because literally the president of the United States has to uphold and enforce laws and constitution. 
But under the scenario, what has been potentially presented in the personage of Trump, he would be under a probated or parole sentence at the time, being convicted, duly convicted of one of the laws or multiple laws he's supposed to protect and uphold, being the enforcer, chief enforcer of protecting those laws at the very same time. Is there any remedy here in this country to stop that scenario? So one option is impeachment. So if you remember with the the past two impeachments of President Trump, one of those took place after he after he left the Oval Office. So that could potentially happen, but given that the the House is controlled by the Republicans, that's unlikely. So that's that's one scenario there as as we talked about, potentially if if the courts ahead of time ruled that a potentially incarcerated uh president uh, candidate, excuse me, was to be elected president, they would not be able to serve as per the 25th Amendment. That's not option there. But as the way it stands, Donald Trump has shown no interest in backing out of the race. The GOP is seemingly fully behind him. So it it really just seems like we'll be in this, watching this unfold for the next several months. Yeah, you know know what would be really interesting? And I spoke to a conservative commentator about this. I said, all right, let's say Trump gets gets the nomination, which by the way, there's no way in the hell he doesn't get the Republican nomination at this point. He gets the nomination, but because the Republican National Committee is actually a private company and your vote is a recommendation to them, it is not a binding contract. Meaning they can get to the floor and broker a convention deal. They can say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna broker something here. We're gonna make a different decision. Now naturally, I don't think they're going to do that. Most of them are scared as hell. Uh, to go against Trump supporters. But in a very technical sense, if the Republican Party as an entity, as a company, wanted to broker the nomination away from Donald Trump, they could do so. That's right, yes. So as you mentioned, it seems like nearly guaranteed that he will get the nomination. But certainly if the party decides that his legal troubles are too much of a concern when it comes to the general election, they they could absolutely choose another candidate to be who they back for the general. Um, What's your take uh, as a reporter? Why do you think Nikki Haley is still in the race? Yeah, so I I think there's a handful of reasons, I think. Uh, you know, one of them is this this legal peril, right? So there is a chance that Donald Trump is is convicted, and, and that's when the Republican Party says, "All right, this is too much. This is going to cost us a general election." So I think she she has that aspect there. Um, so I think she's felt a little bit of momentum, at least in New Hampshire, and, and potentially has the momentum in her mind from that, and wants to keep just being in the in the race in that regard, and potentially setting herself up for a future run. So. That I think we'll we'll see what happens on on Saturday in in South Carolina, but yeah. of course the the polls are certainly predicting that Donald Trump will continue to dominate. Yeah, and Donald Trump now has the senator of South Carolina, uh, and he's saying things like, "Hey, I mean, you know, Tim Scott very, look a very strong vice presidential candidate, but but don't don't read into that right before South Carolina to make sure people read into that so that he is massive." In his victory, Trump just likes big victories. You know what I mean? He wants oh, yeah. to just clobber his yeah. opponent, right? Yeah, it's not it's not enough to just win. He wants it to be a yeah. a clobbering, as you said. Yeah, that's it. All right, listen, this is great reporting. I appreciate that you put this together because I, I got to tell you, um, to have this many experts 
say basically the same thing. And you go back and look at the record, there is no prohibition to it. We do have precedent for people being able to, to obtain, garner, and get allocated votes while in prison under conviction. So you can't utilize that against them. And naturally, the Republican Party, they're not gonna stop the train. They, they do not have the leadership to stop the train. Um, thank you for it. For those who are watching, where should they go and find the article? Absolutely, they can go to our website, rawstory.com and, and find our story on the prison president as we call it there. Wow, all right, thank you so much. We're gonna have you back, we appreciate all you do. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Absolutely, all right. Um, we're in the twilight zone. I, I don't know how else to describe it to everybody. Uh, something happened to Earth, it tilted. We're on a different vibration. We're in a whole different universe. Seriously. The man can be president, right, without being free. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Okay. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Indisputable is still the fastest growing news show in America compared to CNN, Fox News, and 30 other networks. We tell the truth on indisputable because the truth is indisputable. We go places that other news media outlets refuse to go. When there were human rights abuses happening at the Victorville prison, guards and members of the community contacted us. You, through your investigative reporting, unearthed very troubling allegations about specific forms of abuse and discrimination in the federal prison system. It really doesn't take much to be a trusted voice. All it takes is to be fearless, report on matters, be an advocate. I called it the bullpen intentionally because it's a place of preparation. We present individuals who may have an opposing view, so we debate. Sometimes we interview individuals because their stories deserve to be heard. A survivor of significant police misconduct and his attorney. We covered this story earlier and we remind you of the horror of one man being shot at damn near 100 times by the police. We take time on this show to showcase the temper tantrums of Karens in the wild. We do this not because we wanna see people's emotional outbursts in public, but because these incidents are emblematic of a bigger societal issue taking place across the nation, and it has to be checked. My friend, my big homie, attorney at law, Benjamin Crump. I just wanna thank you, man. When educated, articulate brothers like yourself speak truth to power, it makes a great difference in changing the landscape in America. Listen, no matter what you do, don't allow the politics of ideology to evaporate the soul that still exists inside of you. They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need health care, so I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform, so I won't stop. You won't stop either.